When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There are many interesting and weird locations found all throughout the work of H.P. Lovecraft and those who followed in his footsteps. Outside of the Dreamlands, we've not really discussed any of these, so today we'll take a look at some of the others. The first location on today's list is Arkham, a fictional town in Massachusetts. The town takes the role of a central hub, being mentioned in many of Lovecraft's stories as well as many other authors. At first glance, you'd be forgiven for thinking that Arkham is an ordinary, run-of-the-mill town, but there's a reason it pops up in so many stories. The town is shrouded in mystery from the outside, but to those that live there, this mystery is full of dark legends and acts of evil that the people have had to endure. The disappearance of children became commonplace, especially amongst the poorer families, with most being used in rituals and blood sacrifice. The town's main point of interest is the Miskatonic Library, which first appears in the stories The Picture in the House and Herbert Wester Reanimator. The library also housed one of the few copies of the Necronomicon. Many believe that the inspiration for Arkham came from Salem because of its occult history and weird occurrences. Arkham is essentially a central hub for the supernatural. What appears to be nothing more than a regular town is far more fishy than meets the eye. Speaking of fishy towns, we can now segue nicely into the seaport town of Innsmouth. Much like Arkham, this small town has a history of strange occurrences. The buildings are run down and decaying. Many who once called this town home have moved on. The town itself was founded in 1643, and before the American Revolution it was known for building ships. As the years went by, and due to several shipwrecks and the War of 1812, only one fleet remained, captained by Obed Marsh, the head of one of the founding families. During his travels, Marsh came across a religion practiced by Polynesian islanders that he would later adapt into the cult known as the Esoteric Order of Dagon. Shortly after this, the town's fishing industry began to boom out of nowhere, almost as if someone or something had given them a supernatural hand. The year 1846 is where things really started to go downhill. Officially, it was said that a plague struck the town which caused death and mass depopulation. Now, we know this was just a cover-up. Marsh and the Esoteric Order of Dagon had two beings that they worshipped at the centre of their religion, Father Dagon and Mother Hydra. Eventually, they struck a deal to give the town limitless amounts of gold and fish, but with such a deal comes a grave sacrifice. The Deep Ones were summoned to Innsmouth, and in exchange for riches, they would sacrifice the people of the town in their name. Members of the cult took a series of oaths before joining, these were secrecy and loyalty to the cause, with the final oath being to marry and sire or bear a child with a deep one. 
This mixing of species is what created the deformed hybrids which would eventually become Deep Ones when they came of age, making the journey back into the sea to be with their fishy brethren. The Order suffered their first big blow when the authorities began investigating the town and arrested Obed and many of his followers. The Deep Ones then not receiving their sacrifices and offerings retaliated and attacked the town. Those who remained continued on without Obed, and interbreeding between Deep One and Human continued until the town next came under investigation in 1927. This time after years of research, the authorities planted explosives in the Devil's Reef just off the coast of Innsmouth, and once these were detonated they planned to arrest the remaining members of the Order. The members of the Order however mysteriously disappeared, leaving us wondering if they were killed in the explosion or whether they just made the journey to the seabed. Innsmouth is a town ravaged by greed and the shady dealings of those who would do anything for it to thrive and prosper. If your interest has been piqued by this rather fishy town or the deep ones, the story you have to read is the shadow over Innsmouth. The town known as Dunwich also gets a mention today, and not just because the Dunwich horror is one of my favourite Lovecraft stories, but because it's a town with a not so straightforward pronunciation. Without any context, it's fairly reasonable to assume that the town was called Dunwich, but Lovecraft was a fairly big Anglophile, and there are many towns in his work, as well as just in general, that were named after towns back in England. One of those towns happens to be Dunwich, which is located in Suffolk, and is actually pronounced Dunwich. Outside of the name, Dunwich is also located in Massachusetts, in an area that is commonly referred to as Lovecraft Country. It's another rundown and mostly abandoned rural town. The residents, however, are very superstitious, not particularly smart, and, well, inbred. The only story Lovecraft mentions Dunwich in is in the Dunwich Horror, and it's a story I highly recommend you read if you haven't already done so. Moving away from Massachusetts, we have what is known as the Nameless City, which ironically is its name. The city itself is a ruin found in the Arabian Peninsula, and Lovecraft does make reference to the Mesopotamian region of Chaldea, which later became Babylon. These ruins were once a great city, built by a race of reptilians that predated humans. The description given is somewhere in between the body of an alligator and a seal. The architecture of the city suggests that they were unable to stand on two legs, or at least preferred to crawl on all fours. Low ceilings and rooms that are impossible for humans to stand up in reinforce this theory. The inhabitants of this city originally lived on the coast, but ventured further into the desert as the sea began to recede. There are two main parts to this city. The portion above ground where we see the ruins is what we label as the main city, and then we have the portion below ground which is essentially a series of burial chambers. It's believed a few survivors still remain in this underground portion, but it's never described in any detail, other than being filled with a blinding light. The underground tombs and the ancient language found on murals suggest that these small reptilian creatures at least possess what resembled human intelligence. We don't really know if they were wiped out by another species, or if they just died when the city fell. The story which shares its name with the city also introduces Abdul al-Hazred, the author of the Necronomicon, though at this point we don't really know him by name. 
The Nameless City was described by Lovecraft as one of his favourite stories, so go and give that one a read if you want to hear more about lizard people and the origin of the Necronomicon. Carcosa is another ancient city, this time located on a planet outside of our solar system. Its first appearance is in Beus's short story, An Inhabitant of Carcosa. This story follows a man who is lost and suffering from some kind of memory loss. As he travels through what he describes as forests and deserts, he realises that he is standing in the ruins of what was once the great and famous city of Carcosa, leading us to believe that for some reason the city was destroyed. Robert W. Chambers then makes reference to Carcosa in his story, The King in Yellow. It's a dark and mysterious city where a strange, eerie curse lingers. Despite how small Carcosa is in terms of importance in the mythos, it's been referenced several more times over the years. It appears as a planet in the game Mass Effect 3 and as a temple in the show True Detective. It even appears as the name of a city in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. The city can be found on the east coast of Essos within the Mountain of Morn, which is known as the City of Winged Men. It's also ruled by a sorcerer who claims to be the 69th Yellow Emperor. So even here we get the idea that Carcosa is no ordinary city, and once again is shrouded in mystery and magic. Considering how many Lovecraftian references Martin makes in his work, it's not a huge stretch to say the Yellow Emperor might be a reference to Robert W. Chambers' King in Yellow. Another author who made a large contribution to Lovecraft's mythos was Clark Ashton Smith who wrote a series of stories that were classified as the Hyperborean Cycle. Which brings us nicely to our next location, Hyperborea. Now, some of you may recognise the name, and that's because it appears in the work of the ancient Greeks. The Hyperboreans were a group of giants who lived in the northern region of Hyperborea, just beyond Thrace. In Ashton Smith's work, Hyperborea is a continent found in the Arctic. Before the Ice Age turned Hyperborea into an icy wasteland, it was a warm and tropical place, with jungles that were home to the dinosaurs and a species of yeti known as the Vormi. The Vormi were sadly slain when the first group of settlers migrated from the south and built Hyperborea's first capital city, Comorium. The city was built from granite and marble with enormous walls and towering spires. The people of Comorium were forced to flee this city and build a new one from scratch, when its destruction was foretold at the hand of the old one, Sathogua. Hyperborea was home to numerous creatures and deities known as the Old Ones, who would take the form of animals. Sathogua, as we mentioned earlier, was a giant pot-bellied toad who lived underground until the continent iced over, which is when he fled. Atlak Naka was a giant spider with a human face. It also lived underground where it span an enormous web which connected the waking realm to the dreamlands. When this web is finished, many believe that the world will come to an end, as the lines between the two realms have been permanently blurred. Rimshakorth is a giant white worm that travels on an iceberg, freezing any ships it comes across in a permanent cold. The goddess known as Yunde, who takes the form of an elk, is believed by many to be the wife of Neolarthotep. There are also many formless deities which are just liquid masses. Perhaps the most well-known inhabitant of Hyperborea is the Wendigo god Ithaqua, who journeys between this world and many others. 
Hyperborea was a lush and once budding paradise, before the Ice Age created a continent that resembles nothing more than an icy wasteland. So I guess what better way to finish than with the corpse city of Erlier? Well, at least that's how I pronounce it. Similar to how Cthulhu is supposed to be pronounced Klalhul, Erlier has some rather weird alien pronunciations too. It first appears in Lovecraft's most iconic story, The Call of Cthulhu, a sunken city deep under the Pacific Ocean where Cthulhu himself lays in his eternal slumber. It's described as a hideous crowned citadel made up of large statues, strange hieroglyphics, and images so disturbing they can't be explained. The city appears in one ritual in particular, which I'm not going to attempt to say, but translated it means, in his house at Erlier, dead Cthulhu waits dreaming. In stories that came later, the city was also thought to be the home of Cthulhu's daughter Cthulhu, where she waits hiding for her father to wake, protected by the great starspawn. Weird alien underwater cities aren't exactly my thing, but I can understand the appeal and the horror factor. There are numerous planets mentioned, but these are often obscure and not by Lovecraft himself in any real detail. The planet that he does mention a few times is Yuggoth. This planet was known for being home to a dark entity that would rise from its pits to consume anything in its path, so not many other species stuck around when they visited. As I mentioned at the start of the video, the Dreamlands are heavily referenced by Lovecraft in his Dream Cycle, and they do contain some of his most unique and weird locations, so I'll leave a link to that in the description as well as an end screen if you'd like to watch that. If you have any more interesting locations you'd like to share, or you'd just like to tell me which ones were your favourite, then let me know in the comments below. As always, I've been your host, Mythology and Fiction Explained.